If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Matthew chapter 5, right where Troy was just uh, reading from. While you're getting there, if, if you were, well, maybe you were, maybe you weren't, but when I was in college, uh, a trend for those who were involved in youth ministry or college ministries uh, kind of began, and it had to do with an acronym and it was an acronym that a lot of people, you know, had on a shirt, but it's specifically lots of people had them on bracelets. And the acronym was WWJD, which stands for What Would Jesus Do? And so the whole idea was that, you know, as you wear this bracelet and you come to something in your life that may be a temptation or a situation you need to think about, a decision you're, you're, you're wrestling with, just anything like that, that, you know, as you're thinking about that, as you're considering that, as you're your mind starts going on that, that you would see this bracelet, you would be reminded of what it stands for, and you would ask yourself, you would pause and ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Like, as I face this situation, as I face this temptation, what would Jesus do in this situation? And while the, you know, the wearing of the bracelet or, you know, things like that may have, may have fallen a little bit out of popularity, um, the question is something we, we kind of need to resurrect and is something that we need to constantly keep before us as we're thinking about things in our lives. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would he respond here? What would he say or not say? What would he post or not post? What would Jesus do? And particularly, we need to ask that question of ourselves as it relates to how we talk with others and how we treat others, which is exactly what our text this morning is all about, how we talk with others and how we treat others. And so contextually, we just need to kind of be reminded what's going on, where, where we're at in Matthew chapter 5, ever since verse 20, Jesus has been, you know, he calls out, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the point Jesus was making is that we need a righteousness that is more than just skin deep. Like the Pharisees and the scribes, they were just teaching the law as if, like, as long as you don't do this one thing externally, it doesn't matter what's going on internally in your heart. And so Jesus then gives like six major examples, and we're going to do the last three today. But we've already seen things like, you know, it's not, Jesus says, it's not just that you like don't murder somebody, it's that, that you're not even to have anger in your heart, okay? Don't be angry in your heart. It's not just that you're not to commit adultery, but like what's going on inside, you're not to lust either. And so Jesus is constantly taking these things that the scribes and Pharisees were, were just camping out on the externalities. Just don't do the one specific thing. But internally, it doesn't matter what you do. Just as long as you don't do the, that one specific thing. And so they were just focused on the letter of the law. And Jesus is saying, no, the spirit of the law matters as well. It's not just about the external. It's also about the internal. And so this morning we have three more places like this where Jesus is going to attack the scribes and Pharisees' false 
teaching faulty, self-justifying interpretation of the law. Jesus never attacks the Old Testament law itself. It is infallible. It is inerrant. Not a jot or tittle will pass away, but he absolutely does tap dance all over the faulty, self-justifying interpretations that the scribes and the Pharisees have. That's why every single one of these six things, it begins with, you have heard it was said. If he was talking about scripture, he would say, it has been written. But you've heard the scribes and Pharisees teach it this way. Let me tell you what the law is really all about. Let me correct that. And so we've got three more of those this morning. And like I said earlier, one of them has to do with how we talk. Two of them have to do with how we treat others. But the question that should pervade each one of them as we think through it is, what would Jesus do in these situations? How would he talk? How would he treat other people? Because the reality is that our daily interactions with people reflects who we truly worship. When they say we do this, it's a show me, don't tell me, right? How we interact with people reflects who we truly worship. So let's get started with these three. The first one we'll get started with. Look at verse 33 with me again, all right? Again, thinking through what would Jesus do in each of these situations. Verse 33. Again, you've heard it was said to those of old, right? They're teaching. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so at first glance, this seems to be Jesus just making a a simple and direct prohibition prohibition against oath-taking. And some Christians have, you know, taken a hyper-literal stance and interpretation of this, and they will not take an oath. They will not swear an oath in court. They will not do any of those things. But that's not what Jesus is really talking about at all. Rather, he's driving home the point, and this is number one in your notes if you want to take notes in the sermon guide. He's driving the point home that kingdom citizens shouldn't need to take oaths. Right? Kingdom citizens shouldn't need to take an oath. It's not that we can't take an oath, it's that we, don't need, we shouldn't need to, because we should just live lives of integrity, where we don't need to take an oath. I mean, an oath by itself, is it not just kind of proclaiming, hey, I don't always tell the truth, so I'll give you this oath, and now I will tell the truth, right? And Jesus is saying, we don't really need to do that at all, you don't need to take an oath. You should just live a life of integrity. And so, just contextually, what he's talking about is like all through the Old Testament, you'll see oaths. And these are good and right. There's nothing wrong with them. And they're about, you know, a swearing an oath in the name of the Lord even. And so what wound up happening, how the scribes and Pharisees started twisting that and abusing that, is they would say, you know, um, well, you know, if, if you don't swear in God's name, well, then you don't, you don't have to keep the oath. 
And so people started to abusing that. And so they would, they would swear all these frivolous things. I swear by my beard or I swear by you know, my, the hairs on my head as it talks about. I swear by my white hairs or my black hairs. I swear by these things. And then people would call them out on it. Hey, you didn't keep what you said. And they'd be like, uh-uh-uh, I didn't say Simon Says. I didn't say in God's name. And so it became this great big game of just swearing all these things. And you're like, I have my fingers crossed. Doesn't count. And so Jesus is coming in and saying, no, all this swearing on all these different things is absolutely foolish. For one, if you swear on anything, like who made it? God did. So if you swear on heaven or on uh, earth or on Jerusalem, like God made that. So to swear on any of those things is to swear on God. But more than that, rather than having to constantly convince people you're telling the truth by saying, I swear on my mama's grave or, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Rather than trying to come up with all these things to convince people you're telling the truth, why not just novel idea? Tell the truth. Be a man or woman of integrity such that you don't need an oath. Again, it's not that you can't take one, but it's that you don't need one. Because by your life, you have communicated that you are a person of integrity and truthfulness. And so then, applying that and being introspective, ask yourself, and you've got to be a person of integrity to even be honest when you ask yourself, am I a person of integrity? Am I an honest person? Does my yes really mean yes? Does my no really mean no? Like do, <clears throat> does it carry commitment? Or am I given to trying to modify the truth or disguise part of it? I want to share part of it and ignore this part because this part looks good, this part doesn't. And I do that to you know, justify my own sin or communicate things that help my agenda. And if we can be honest, we all need to repent right now because we do shade the truth very often for our benefit. So let's not tarnish our integrity. Let's not tarnish our testimony by bearing false witness against people. And let's repent where we shade things for our benefit. Kingdom citizens should be people of integrity such that we don't need oaths. By our lives, we have consistently proven ourselves to be truthful like our Lord. I mean, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? He would tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Be people of truth. Kingdom citizens shouldn't need oaths. That's number one. Number two, kingdom citizens shouldn't retaliate. Kingdom citizens shouldn't retaliate. It talks about resist the one who is evil. That basically means retaliate, okay? We don't fight like the world. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's not fire for fire. They did this, so I can do this. It's not tit for tat. And the idea of I don't get mad, I get even, is an idea from hell. 
not from heaven. But it's an idea that the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching by twisting God's word. And so look at verse 38 with me. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Okay, I say to you, do not retaliate. Now this idea, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, this law is called lex talianus. It means law of retaliation. And it was given to the courts of Israel to help them in prescribing proper and just sentences or punishments for crime. It was given so that they had a clear and just formula for punishment. The goal was that fair and balanced judgments and sentences. That, that the punishment matches the crime. Not that it exceeds it and goes too far. So really you could read it as only one tooth for a tooth. And only one eye for an eye. So if someone knocked your tooth out. You know, it wasn't you could go knock their whole face out and make them look like they're from Arkansas. It was that you just, sorry you guys, but the, those of you who are from Arkansas, somebody's going fishing, you can give me a report on it when you get back next week. But the, uh, it wasn't that you could just take all their teeth out. It had to match. I, I should have said Georgia because that's where I'm from. It had to match, right? It, it was to be fair. It was to be balanced, only one eye for an eye. Only one tooth for a tooth. And so you couldn't, you know, someone murders, so you go murder the whole family. Even today, some of our um, drug sentences would not match Lex Talionis. They go too far. And so the whole goal was to restrict vengeance and violence. It was about justice, yes, but it was about restraining vengeance. And it was for the courts not for an individual, okay? But the scribes and the Pharisees twisted and they did make it personal. And so whereas this law was created to curb vengeance, the scribes and Pharisees were teaching it in such a way so as to cover vengeance. So you could seek it out and as you're seeking it out and spelling out vengeance on someone, you're like, it's in the Bible, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's what I'm doing. And Jesus is coming in and saying, no, no. Kingdom citizens don't twist scripture like that. And we don't play that game. We don't fight fire with fire. We don't retaliate. Instead, we, verse 39, turn the other cheek. And if anyone would sue us and take our tunic, we give them our cloak as well. And if anyone forces us to go one mile, we go with them two miles. And we give to the one who begs from us. We give and we do not refuse. Friends, that's what kingdom citizens do. That's what we're called to do. And we hear that and we're like, are you kidding me? I'm to turn the other cheek when someone insults me with a backhanded slap? How about I, you know, clench my fist? See, in the first century, a backhanded slap was more insult than injury. And it was a massive insult. And the only like recourse you had was to take someone to court for, like today, what we call libel or defamation. And so when Jesus is calling us here to turn the other cheek, understand he's not suggesting that like a Christian deliberately put himself in the way of like further, you know, a beatdown. 
the point Jesus is making in this figurative way is that to stand on your so-called rights, your pride and your personal dignity, having that affirmed by others and not taking that insult, that to respond with a vengeance and a vindictiveness about that, you have violated my right. That's not a Christian response. <clears throat> As Sinclair Ferguson puts it, Jesus is basically saying, let the insults come. And show by your response that you feel no need for retaliation. Because you have your reputation secure in God as his child. It doesn't matter what they say. You don't have to defend your reputation. God will ultimately defend it. You don't have to seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And we live for a kingdom that is to come, not being validated and, and, and you know, having people necessarily like give us the respect we think we do, or we're due based upon our rights. How dare you in this world? We don't live for that. We live for a kingdom that is to come. And so instead of responding that way, let us respond to insult by being gracious. And here's why. Just as your father's response to your insult of sin, he was gracious to you. We are to reflect the king. I mean, straight up, will anyone be one to the kingdom by your retaliation? By your standing up for your rights? Is that going to do any, anyone any good? I mean, how could they be one to the kingdom when the king in the kingdom did not retaliate? And so again, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't forbidding us from protecting ourselves or our families from harm. But he is forbidding the taking of revenge for purely personal reasons when nothing is ultimately at stake except your pride, your reputation, your so-called rights. That's what Jesus is getting at. And so basically, this is a great big loud call to follow me, Jesus says. Because think about it. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was beaten with sticks. He was slapped, he was scourged, he was nailed to the cross. Nevertheless, the, book, the letters of Peter tell us he withheld all retaliation and even had forgiveness on his lips as these things were happening. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Friends, never are you more like your Savior than when you respond to abuses graciously and without retaliation. Never are you more like your Savior than when you respond to abuses graciously and without retaliation. That's when you look like the Lord. And so we turn the other cheek. We give up our coat. We lay down our rights. We go the extra mile. 
And listen, I can't apply this to my kids, you know, running or walking back. Hey, you went with me one, now you got to go with me two. Like, I can't apply it that way. You can't, it has nothing to do with going for a walk or anything like that. This is specific to a cultural thing that was going on during this time, and Jesus is using that as an illustration. So here's what that cultural thing was. And you, you've seen it, you know it. During that time, it was legal for a Roman to come to any civilian and force them to carry uh, their luggage or materials or, where you've seen it in the Bible, a cross, right? So the Roman, Romans make Simon of Cyrene carry Jesus' cross because Jesus is, you know, can't carry anymore. So they co-opt this guy, they commandeer this guy and make him do that. That was law. They could do this all day long, and they did. And the Jews obviously hated it. It was absolutely insulting to them that, that any Roman could come and make them do that for the simple fact that they're Roman and the Jews aren't. And so it was absolutely insulting, humiliating. Obviously an imposition as well. But Jesus is calling us when they make you do that and go one mile, you go another one. You do the unexpected because we live by a different law. And so as one guy wrote, he said, be willing. Like Jesus is calling us here to be willing to be exploited and put upon for the sake of the gospel. And again, this makes no sense. But we live counter culture. We live counter into it. We live like Jesus called us to live. He said, go the extra mile. This isn't a question. Be willing to do that. Do not be irritated or exasperated, this guy continues, when others take advantage of you. Like, it's going to happen. If you live as a Christian, you will wind up being taken advantage of. Do it anyway. The Lord will repay. We live for a different day. Go above and beyond the call of duty, even when it entails an unjust imposition of your time, effort, and resources. And so kingdom citizens shouldn't retaliate. We do the opposite because Jesus did the opposite. We shouldn't retaliate. That's what the world does, but that's not what our Lord did or commanded. So whether you, you know, some people be like, well, Jesus is my example. I just live like him. So people are like, well, uh, I want to see what Jesus commanded and I do that. So whether Jesus, Jesus is actually our example, absolutely. And he's our authority. And here both is our example and in his command, he says, don't retaliate. Always keep in mind that the values of the kingdom are the values of the king. Right? The values of the kingdom are the values of the king. And so as kingdom citizens reflecting our king, we don't retaliate. So it's not even WWJD here. It's WWDJD. What did Jesus do? He didn't retaliate. Neither are we to. And so kingdom citizens shouldn't retaliate. But number three then, kingdom citizens should love and pray for our enemies. 
Kingdom citizens should love and pray for our enemies. Like, for real. That's what Jesus says to do. It's not like, eh, it's a good idea, but you know, you don't really have to do it. It's what he says to do. And so look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, stop right there. Again, Jesus is confronting a twisted and perverted teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And they've twisted God's word here in two ways. First of all, they quote a portion of the epitome of the Old Testament, which is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That's all over Scripture. So even when Jesus is asked, hey, if you were to sum up, you know, the, or what is the most important commandment, he says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In these is all the law and the prophets. That is, the whole Old Testament is summed up by those things. So loving your neighbor as yourself is all over the Old Testament. But if you look right here, they left off a little piece. They just say, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Didn't say anything about love your neighbor as yourself. And so watch this. What they have done is they have changed uh, the command that was focused on how we are to love others as ourselves. They've changed the question into being like who you are to love. You love your neighbor. And so then they combine that with, well, if we're just to love our neighbor, that means we can hate everybody else. We can hate our enemy. And so you can look up and down the Old Testament until you're blue in the face. You will not find that. Nowhere in Scripture does it say to hate your enemy. There's nothing that could be more unlike God than that. Romans 5 instead. Yet while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is teaching us to rewire our viewing from seeing people as enemies into seeing people as neighbors. And it's exactly what it did in um, the Good Samaritan. Like you had the lawyer come there, and the lawyer was trying to, again, limit who his neighbor was. And Jesus is like, no, 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 everybody's your neighbor, even your enemies. Let me just read it to you and remind you again of what Jesus teaches here. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Listen to this. Listen to, to Jesus Listen to the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, Even the lawyer gets a summation of the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, this is what we all try to do, said to Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? Again, trying to limit that thing down. So Jesus replies with a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, an enemy, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And so again, Jesus is trying to recalibrate our minds so that we will no longer view people merely as enemies, but also see them as our neighbor. They're not enemies to be dominated. They're neighbors to be loved. And so, friends, listen to me. Like, we hate Satan. We hate sin. We hate evil. We hate injustice. But we don't hate people. Even though they may hate us. That's why they're our enemies. Like, we don't put enemy on them, but they are going to treat us that way. They may hate us, they may curse us, they may abuse us, they may strike us, they may rob us, we, they may deceive us, but we're not to retaliate. And so even though they may treat us as enemies, we are to treat them as neighbors and love and pray for them. And love here is an action word. It's a present imperative, which means it, can, it, it contains a continuing action. It's not just a feeling, well, I'm going to feel love towards them. No, no, no. Again, don't just tell me, show me. There's to be actions in loving others. We'll talk about one way next week that you can show an action. But we're also to pray for them. Because just think about in your own prayer life for a minute, just who do you normally pray for? Just in your mind, think about it. You normally pray for people you love, right? You start with your family or whatnot. You normally pray for people you know well, you love well. And one of the reasons I'm always pushing on us to pray through the directory, pray for everybody in the membership, A's and B's and C's and so on, is because the more you pray for someone, the more your heart goes out to them, the more you want good for them. The more you are concerned for them. And so as we pray for our enemies, the same thing happens. Like you can do a good deed towards someone and your heart can be totally elsewhere. You can say a kind word about someone and your heart be totally elsewhere. But you can't pray that God would bless someone that he would richly bless someone and fool God. 
It would be like saying, Lord bless him. Like, Actually, I hope you don't really hear what I want. Like, yeah, this is, it's not going to happen. God knows what you're thinking. He's going to see right through that. So as you pray for people, your heart will begin to soften. Just as you may be praying for their heart to soften, your heart is also going to soften. When was the last time you prayed for an enemy? And not like, Lord, smite them. When was the last time you truly prayed that God would bless this person in my work who is just so hard to get along with? They are constantly have something against me. Instead of trying to retaliate and get back in, when was the last time you prayed for them? Have you ever, like, not prayed for someone because you didn't want God to bless them? Or you didn't pray that God would save them? Which is what we should pray for. I mean, that, that's the greatest thing you could ever, could ever happen to someone. We don't pray that because we want them to go to hell. And we've told them as much. Or you believe they are beyond hope. Let me reintroduce you to a Pharisee murderer scripture twister to justify his sin named Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. Never think someone's too far gone. God can't change their hearts. God is God. He created everything out of nothing. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Because he's God. Ask him. Ask him to. Pray for your enemies. Love them. Look again at verse 43 with me. A couple more things to see here. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Like he's saying, you look like, you show the family resemblance when you do this. Because this is what I do. I have love for my enemies. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Like God doesn't, you know, just going to rain over here on this Christian's crops. But the non-Christian, sorry, you're going to starve and die. And your whole family is too. He doesn't do that. He sends a rain on the just and the unjust. For if you have love for those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so listen, everybody loves those who are just like them. Everybody does that, right? Tax collectors do that. Gentiles do that. Republicans do that. 
Democrats do that. But as Christians, kingdom citizens should be different. And we don't just do what everybody else does. We look different. We live different. So we don't retaliate. We love our enemies. It should be obvious to others that we are not ordinary. We are extraordinary because our Father is extraordinary. He is extraordinary. And this is what Jesus means when he tells us to be perfect like the Father. He's not assuming we can reach some moral perfection in this life. Rather, he's reflecting on the way in which the love of the Father is demonstrated in its perfection in the way he loved and loves his enemies. And so when we love our enemies and we pray good for them and we don't retaliate, but we truly neighbor them well, when we love them, hoping and praying for the best for them, when we do that, people can see the family resemblance with our Father. Like when you've been hated, when you've been despised, when you've been cursed, when you've been spoken ill of, the natural response is to reciprocate, to retaliate, to sin right back at them. But Christ is calling us to a completely different ethic, a God-inspired kind of love. And when we love in the face of that kind of hate, it's a love where people will take notice, even who may not believe in God, and say, if there is a God, that guy knows him. Because that is different. Do you look different? Or do you look just like People who've never met Jesus. Why should they seek to know Jesus? If there's no difference. Friends, again, this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He loved us while we were yet enemies. And so listen to me, it's at the cross that we learn how to love our enemies by looking at what our Lord did for us. Sometimes we think, well, I, you know, this person needs to do this or that or the other for me to love them. What did you do to make Jesus love you? Nothing. The only thing you brought to the table of that equation is your sin. And yet he still chose to love you. He doesn't love you because you perform at some level. You, you met his expectations. The whole point of the cross is that you didn't. And yet he still chose to love you. And so friends, freely choose to love others that way. The whole word Christian literally means little Christs. We are to look like little Christs in our lives. And we're going to fail. I get that. That's why we run back to the cross and we repent and turn and go again. But are you endeavoring to live as a little Christ to those around you and how you treat others that are around you? Are you showing the kingdom to others by how you talk about and treat them? Or have you settled for a 
lesser kingdom with a lesser king. And maybe that kingdom and king is yourself. As I said at the beginning, your daily interactions with people and how you treat your enemies with retaliation and hatred or turning the other cheek and loving, it shows who you actually worship. What do your actions show? Whether it's your next door neighbor, whether it's your enemy neighbor, what the world needs right now and what Jesus expects of you right now is for Christians to simply but aggressively live out the great commandment and love their neighbor as themselves. Christ expects us and the world needs us to live out the golden rule and treat others the way we would like to be treated. And to love others like our Father who sends the sun and the rain on the just and the unjust. And that will show the world a better way. The gospel way. The Jesus way. The one and only one who can bring healing to his broken world. Kingdom citizens shouldn't need oaths. Kingdom citizens should not retaliate. But kingdom citizens should love and pray for their enemies. Once again, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And there's an answer bracelet now. And it's H-W-L-F. He would love first. Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, help us to lead with love. Lord, your word obviously has commands, things we are to obey, ways you have said the world works best and you've lined up for us to live within the confines of that not to confine us to suffering and difficulty but to lead us into more than momentary fleeting happiness but into joy so father help us to even as we see situations like this where someone is outside of those things to lead with love. And for these commands that you give us about not retaliating and loving, our, we cannot keep these in ourselves. And so, Father, help us to stay glued to the cross where you demonstrate your love for us. That while we were yet enemies, you died for us, Jesus. And help us to reflect that in our day in and day out lives and help us to live for another day, another kingdom. Not worry about ourselves. Know that 
Vengeance is yours. You will repay. You will carry us all the way. And when this fleeting vapor of a life is over, we will be in glory with you forever and ever. And any crowns we did try to gather up in this life, we're going to cast at your feet. Because you alone are worthy. And so, Father, help us to be kingdom ambassadors here and now. Like embassies that are little pictures of a different kingdom inside of a country. Help our church to be an embassy of heaven within this world. And let our citizenship in heaven be evident in how we talk and how we treat others. By the power of the Holy Spirit, work this in us. In Jesus' name, amen.